Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look today at verses 67 through 75. If you remember when we began our study in Luke, um, don't know if you knew that chapter 1 would take this many weeks to get through. There are 24 chapters. I am aware of that. Uh, we'll get there at some point uh, unless the Lord returns. And, uh, and that may be, and that would be wonderful. But as we began, if you remember, I mentioned in one of the first sermons, first or second week, that although it's been 400 years, no prophet, uh, the Lord not speaking to his people through a prophet, uh, 400 years of silence, and really you can imagine darkness, uh, although that, that time has passed, these 400 years, it kind of feels like in this first chapter that dawn is beginning to break, right? The sun is beginning to rise. And, and I think this morning's text is, is really that text where you feel like right before uh, I was driving down this morning early and the sun coming over the clouds, just peeking over you as it, as it first comes over the horizon and you want to look, but it, it's hard. It's hard to look at the sun, and, and it's just so piercing as it pierces over. But you want to see. You want to see the beauty of the sunrise. You want to see the beauty of the sun. This text kind of feels like just the second right before that. I mean, the sun is about to come right over and shine in the faces of all mankind. And this is just, just seconds before it pierces over that horizon. And so let's look together at... Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 75. Go ahead and stand with me. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Go ahead and have a seat. The text today Zechariah's praise, the overflow of his heart. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to praise God. It's known as the Benedictus. It's a song, whether it was sung or not, is this, this song of praise to the Lord. And it's a bridge. It's a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this bridge that's connecting old to new. And as we, as we go through the text, you'll see it's kind of like Zechariah has a one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament. And he's drawing off of his understanding of all that happened in the old and all that was promised in the old. And yet he's filled with the Spirit and he's prophesying by the power of the Spirit things that he doesn't fully understand. He's understanding them as he, as he knew of them in the Old Testament. And yet we, as we look back and know what the truth is about Christ's coming and, and what he's actually saying in this, this, this um, time of praise, this prophetic praise that he's giving, we know the big picture. We know the fullness of what's to come. 
And what is his focus in these verses as he is filled with the Spirit and begins to prophesy and bless and praise the Lord? What is his focus or what, what, who is his focus? It's Jesus, right, from start to finish. It's not his baby that's eight days old. You would think that, right? You would think that he would burst into song and praise and I've waited my whole life for this, this eight-day-old baby. I've waited all of my life. I didn't think I was going to have a child. Lord, you've given me a son and here he is. And as he bursts into song and, and is filled with the Holy Spirit, his attention is not his child. His praise and his attention is the child. His prayer and praise is not, I've waited my whole life for this. It's I've waited my whole life and we've waited our whole lives for this one who is to come. The song, this praise is about Jesus. In verse 68 he begins, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Zechariah begins, As many worship passages begin throughout the scriptures, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Praising God for who he is and what he's done. It's the purpose of his declaration. is to praise God. That God would be glorified. He follows it with that word, for, right? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for. And so we know from here forward, this is why he's praising God. This is the reason for his praise. This is the reason for the overflow of his heart. It would be good for us to be people like this, that every morning as we wake, it's the desire of my heart. I'm not faithful in this, but it's the desire of my heart that I would wake up and the first thing on my mind and in my heart would be these words. Blessed be the Lord. Not to-do lists, Not anything else, but just the first thing as I open my eyes, blessed be the Lord. And as we go through the day, that whatever it is, that whatever the for is in our life, blessed be the Lord God for this. Or for this. That's what what Zechariah is doing. It's just the overflow of his heart. And he's worshiping God in response to what the Lord is doing. Presently doing. We're going to break this text up into three things that Zechariah praises God for. Someone asked me recently, do you always have three points? Almost, almost always. Just, it breaks up nicely. This one in particular. Three things about Jesus that he blesses God for. First is this, blessed be the Lord for Jesus our Redeemer. Secondly, blessed be the Lord for Jesus, the horn of salvation. And third, blessed be the Lord for Jesus, our deliverer. First, blessed be the Lord for Jesus, our redeemer. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, verse 68 says, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. I mentioned that Zechariah has one foot in the old and one foot in the new, and this is evident here even in the beginning of his praise. 
Zechariah in his mind and his thinking as he's dwelling. Remember, he's a priest. He has dwelt and learned the scriptures. He knows the Old Testament scriptures. He's aware of God's word in the Old Testament. And you can imagine as he's been silent for nine months, because we know that the overflow when he opened his mouth, the first thing that came out was blessing to God. Certainly over those nine months, he's been contemplating God's word. He's been meditating on God's word. And so he's drawing off of his Old Testament understanding. Blessed be the Lord who has visited and redeemed his people. And he's talking about Jesus, but understanding his visitation, Jesus' visitation and redemption from an Old Testament understanding or an Old Testament reading. In fact, in Exodus 6, 6, when, when God is going to deliver his people By the hand of Moses, it says, God told Moses, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver or redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That's the kind of thinking that Zechariah has here. He's remembering God visiting and redeeming, delivering his people Israel from their enemies in fact, just before Exodus 6 in, in chapter 431, it says, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So this is, this is the kind of Old Testament picture thinking that Zechariah has of visiting and redeeming. And what he's hoping in this and his understanding of it is that the people of Israel in his day will be delivered from their oppression. That this one is coming to deliver. And that the Messiah, the prophet greater than Moses, will reign on the earth and conquer Israel's enemies once and for all. But there's more meaning to visiting and redeeming than Zechariah comprehends. Jesus is surely coming as Zechariah is aware of, and that's what he is proclaiming. It's important for us to to understand how certain Zechariah is of that. You notice what he says? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed. Past tense. So certain of what is to be accomplished because of the promises of God, he speaks of it as if it's already happened. Because it has already happened. Jesus has already, God has already said that it would happen. Promised that Jesus is coming and in prophesying, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah is saying it as if it's already accomplished, it's already done, it's already been sealed and delivered. Certain of God's promises. But the enemy that is to be conquered is sin and death, not Rome. Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and he's proclaiming the truth. He has visited and redeemed his people, but he doesn't understand just as the disciples didn't understand. Remember, as as Jesus walks with the disciples, he's preparing them all along. Even over and over, you see three times in the book of Mark, he says, see, we're going to Jerusalem and they're going to deliver the Son of Man up and he will be crucified, but he will rise again. Three times he says it to the disciples, but do they understand? He could not be clearer, right? But they don't get it. And when, when he's arrested, they disperse. And when he dies, they are in despair because they didn't understand that this was how people would be redeemed. 
The enemy that is to be conquered is sin and death, not Rome. And they didn't understand, and Zechariah didn't understand, that this visitation by the Messiah, this coming of the Messiah would include his death. That he will truly redeem his people. That's what redeem means, to save at a cost. He will redeem, he will save at a cost, or he will rescue at a high price. His people, blessed be the Lord God for Jesus, our Redeemer. Psalm 111, verse 9, so wonderful. He says, it says, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Holy and awesome is his name. That's, that's, the, that's the praise and the, the feeling we get from Zechariah that he doesn't even yet fully understand the redemption cost that comes for Jesus. God had given the script of what was to take place hundreds of years before. We can go to Isaiah 53, and yet the Pharisees and the disciples and those following Jesus missed it. Isaiah 53, speaking of this one to come, speaking of the one that that Zechariah is prophesying about who's, who's about to be born, Chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not. His mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. You can imagine, I mean, this is hundreds of years before Jesus comes. This is the price, this is the cost of redemption. But you can imagine the tension in the minds of the people in Jesus' day. How does this Messiah, this one coming to be king, how does, how does this text fit with him when they believe that he's going to come and throughout his co- coming and time on earth as the disciples are just waiting, he's going to set up his kingdom, he's going to take out our enemies, he's going to reign forever. You can imagine the tension in their minds to even try to comprehend how is this true of this conquering king. As Zechariah is praising God for Jesus who's coming to redeem his people, he doesn't fully understand, and yet by the Spirit he's proclaiming the truth. He is coming. God's visiting and redeeming his people. The Lord redeemed the people through the sacrifice and death of his son, Jesus Christ. We have been delivered by his death to be his people. He's visited his 
people and redeemed his people. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Blessed be the Lord God for Jesus, our Redeemer. The second thing he praises the Lord for is, is this. Blessed be the Lord God for Jesus, the horn of salvation. Verse 68 and 69, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. What does this mean? Again, Zechariah is drawing off of this Old Testament expression, horn of salvation. Horn is, is, is not the kind of horn here that you, you blow. Horn is the kind of horn that you fear. You think of the thick, strong horn of a ram. That's the kind of horn that is meant in the Old Testament when it refers to horn of salvation or horn in general. Psalm 92, 9 and 10. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. This horn is like the thick and destructive horn of a ram or a wild ox. That's the kind of horn that Zechariah is speaking of here. It's a sign of strength and a means of victory. Zechariah is speaking using Old Testament language of the mighty salvation that Jesus brings. He's a strong and mighty Savior who will crush his enemies. We sing that song, we sang it earlier. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to save. Do we think of mighty this way? Nothing will stop him. This picture of this mighty beast with horns and and these are his weapons, right? He's just coming through and plowing over whatever is in his way. That's the mighty salvation of Jesus. This horn of salvation as Zechariah proclaims. Strong and mighty Savior who will crush his enemies. Zechariah says this horn of salvation is in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Psalm 132 verse 17 says, I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. What's the psalmist referring to here? He's referring to Jesus. This horn to sprout from David. That's Jesus. That's just the same as Zechariah is proclaiming here. The horn of salvation that Zechariah refers to. The horn of salvation. Jesus is the one promised in the lineage of David. That's what he means here. Is raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This is the foot that Zechariah has in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. 
And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. You remember in 2 Samuel 7 where uh, David goes to Nathan and he says, I want to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan's first response is, do whatever's on your heart. Whatever's on your heart, do it. But then Nathan is spoken to by the Lord and the Lord says through Nathan, he goes back to David and says, you're not the one to build the house for the Lord. But... The Lord will build a house for David. David will not build a house for the Lord, but he will establish David's house. God will establish your house and will build a house for you. What's he talking about there? The same thing Zechariah is speaking of here. He will establish David. How? Through a king who's coming who will reign forever and ever. The horn of salvation who is mighty to save. Jesus this one that Zechariah is praising God over is Jesus, the Messiah, who is coming in the lineage of David as a fulfillment of all these promises in the Old Testament. He comes like a mighty horned beast who will lower his head and destroy his enemies. And that's the hope that Zechariah has here. Now, Zechariah's thinking is he's coming and his head is already lowered. He's going to conquer Rome. He's going to conquer the enemies of me. What he doesn't understand, as we talked about with redemption, is his greatest enemy is not Rome. His greatest enemy is sin. And Jesus will conquer sin first through the cross. Blessed be the Lord for Jesus, the horn of salvation. And third, blessed be the Lord God for Jesus, our deliverer. He goes on, the oath excuse me, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Jesus will be the one to deliver God's people once and for all. A final and forever deliverance from God's enemies. That's what Zechariah proclaims. This fulfillment of long ago promises, covenant that he made with Abraham. Verses 72 and 73. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. What is that oath? What is that promise? Well, he, he gives us uh, an answer here afterwards to grant us, verse 73 leading into 74, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Ultimately, that's the promise. That's the oath given to Abraham. In Genesis 22, 15 through 18, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." Because you have obeyed my voice. Who's the offspring? It's Jesus. 
God is bringing about the mercy promised long before through Jesus. And Zechariah is saying here that God is showing kindness through Jesus to the ancient fathers with whom he established this covenant. I love this. What is the aim of the covenant? What is the aim of the oath that God made? Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the aim that God is glorified. The aim of his covenant being fulfilled, the aim of his oath is that we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days, that he would be glorified. Not that we would be glorified, not that Abraham would be glorified, that he would be able to look ahead and say, look what I produced. Look what came from me. Look what I, no, no, no. Look what God did. And that God would be glorified and that we, those who are redeemed by this great horn of salvation, the mighty Savior, would together serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Deliverance that Jesus brings is not one that merely liberates from human oppression as as Zechariah is possibly thinking, but that creates a holy and righteous people who do not fear but serve him in his presence all their days. God rescued us to serve him. The goal of our salvation is his glory. The goal of our redemption is that he would be worshipped and glorified. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The, the purpose, the aim of your redemption, the aim of my redemption, the aim of, of this oath, this covenant of Jesus coming, this promise that was made to Abraham that his offspring would be blessed and all the nations would be blessed through his offspring. The aim of that is exactly what Zechariah is saying here, that God would be worshipped, that we would serve him, that we would praise him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. This beautiful, beautiful picture of why you were redeemed, why you were saved, why Jesus came is for worship, that we would worship him. Blessed be the Lord God for Jesus our deliverer. And we have this kind of already not yet tension in deliverance here. You can see both in this aim of covenant to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Delivered already to do that. Romans 7, 24 and 25, Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
delivered to worship him. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So it's now, it's already. We're experiencing the truth and the aim of the oath today that we would worship him, serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. The enemy has been disarmed. We're holy and blameless before him. Created to worship, to, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. That's now, it's already. And yet it's not yet. If this already and not yet, we know, we know that although we have been set apart and we've been freed, we've been saved, we've been redeemed and the old is gone and the new has come and our sin has been nailed to the cross and our guilt with it and we're free now to worship without fear, to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. We know that there is a better day coming. That's what Zechariah is talking about here. That Jesus is coming back. That he came and he purchased our salvation, redeeming us, rescuing us, delivering us from our enemy's sin and death, disarming those who were against us, freeing us, and yet there is one day coming where he will come as the horn of salvation and he will conquer, taking out all of his enemies. Revelation 19 and 20, as you read through that, as Jesus is coming on this white horse and his enemies don't stand a chance. The picture of the sword coming out of his mouth, the word of God, it's just this picture, this uh, giving us an, uh, an idea of how when he speaks, his enemies will be annihilated. This graphic picture through Revelation 19 of what's going to take place when Jesus returns. And then what? We will be with him forever. The enemies gone. Sin gone. Temptation gone. Tears gone. And God will dwell with man forever and ever. And we will serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Blessed be God for Jesus, our Redeemer, the horn of salvation, our Deliverer, who has and will bring it about. We're going to go into a time of communion, Lord's Supper, taking the bread and the cup. I just want to think about this. Jesus has come and has redeemed his people. Those of us who have trusted in him, surrendered to him, we are saved, we're redeemed. He's done it by laying down his life as we read in Isaiah 53. He was punished. He was despised, it says, and we esteemed him not. 
He has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God. He was afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement that brought us peace. His wounds are the ones that healed us. Verse 6 is what's about us. We like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. Like a sheep that before it shears his silence, he opened not his mouth. Jesus purchasing our redemption by his blood and his sacrifice. As a people who are redeemed, we worship. We serve him without fear and we worship in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Together we worship in many ways and one of the ways we do that is taking the bread and the cup together as his body, remembering his body and blood, his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, proclaiming his death until he comes. We think about the consummation of all things when Jesus returns. We long for that day. We long for that day. And communion, taking the Lord's Supper, should, should increase that anticipation. Together as the body, having fellowship, unity in the body and blood of Jesus should increase the anticipation for new earth. The feast that we have with Jesus as his bride. We eagerly wait. As we hold the bread and the cup this morning, let's remember as Zechariah joyously celebrated Christ's victory and the consummation of all things, even before they took place, he rejoiced. We ought to do the same if we're redeemed. If you're redeemed, take the bread and take the cup in a joyful manner, in a worthy manner, anticipating the day that we will feast with him together and remembering the day that your salvation was purchased on the cross. And if you're not, if you don't know him, if you're not redeemed, then let it pass. But know that today could be that day for you. If you believe, if you trust in Jesus and what we just read in Isaiah 53 was exactly true of him. He came, God in bodily form and those things really did happen to him because we really did sin and really do sin. And a punishment had to be given. God's wrath has to be justified and Jesus willingly took it on himself and he says, if anyone comes and believes in me, they will be forgiven. Today, we encourage you as as the bread and the cup pass, those are symbols that we take and celebrate the glorious truth of redemption and all that we have in Christ. Let those pass and you take of Jesus. Believe in Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he offers. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Jesus, thank you. Blessed be God for you, Jesus, our Redeemer, our Deliverer. We praise you. We thank you. God, we thank you for your word. What a gift. What a blessing. 
We praise you that you've entrusted it to us. We want to handle it rightly, Lord, in our hearts and with our lips, in our minds. And so we want, to, we want to honor you and praise you in how we take the bread and the cup. And so as we hold it even, would you just help the anticipation of being with you increase as we remember you're purchasing that for us, your body that was broken for us, your blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. As we take it together, unite our hearts, Lord, I pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.